0: Number Five, Part Two of "The Heart of a Mystery" by L. T. Meade and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Number five: A Gallop with the Storm: Part Two. The day which had just begun promised to be even hotter than the previous one. A dull sultriness hung in the air, and the papers prophesied a storm. When I reached Baker Street, I saw Signor Piñero waiting for me on the platform. Well, I cried eagerly, what is the news? I will tell you as we go along, was his answer. We are in for a big thing, and I want, if not your help, Phinace, at least your company. You may be required by and by as a witness. There is no saying. Phew, this heat is dreadful. We want a good storm to clear the air, and I expect we are in for one. Here he smiled grimly. When we got outside the station, Pinero hailed a hansom and told the man to drive to Westminster Abbey. We are going sightseeing, Finesse, he said, but not to the Abbey. All the same, the Abbey is near enough so far as our cabman is concerned. We will dismiss him there and walk the rest of the way. Now, listen, I have come at the truth in regard to the whereabouts of the crucifix. Impossible! I could not help exclaiming. It is true, he said, nodding his head. And when I tell you that I have no less than sixteen agents at work, day and night, in this cause, you must suppose that if success was possible, it was to be obtained. Success was possible, and we have won, so far as that discovery is concerned. Listen, the crucifix for which such a great reward is offered reposes now in a small curiosity shop full of rubbish in a street near Victoria Station. It is still there, and is being watched night and day. It is in that shop we shall pick up the real secret of Mademoiselle's whereabouts, but how soon, I cannot say then you have not found out where she is hiding? No, but whenever that crucifix leaves the shop, it will be followed, and at the end of that line we shall find her. I greatly hope, also, that we shall be able to lay our hands on the papers, which will give away her conspiracy and her gang. My great object in having you here is because there is a possibility that in the chase we may be separated. I must have another person to identify her, should anything happen to me. What do you mean? I asked he shrugged his lean shoulders. My life will be cheap if I gain my end, he answered. He did not say any more until our cab set us down close to the Royal Aquarium. We walked quickly westwards. Presently we turned into a small, badly-smelling alley, and I noticed, leaning against a lamppost, a dissipated-looking waif, half in rags. Pinheiro nodded to him. One of my men, he whispered. The next moment we had entered the tiny shop, in the windows of which was displayed a miscellaneous collection of cracked china, lustres, and old prints. Behind the counter stood a girl of about eighteen years of age, dressed in rusty black, and looking ill and nervous. "'What can I do for you, sir?' she asked, as Pinheiro leaned against the counter. "'We have come to take a look at your things,' he replied in a kindly tone as he spoke he turned over some dowdy-looking paste-buckles and then began to examine massive chains and a cracked china dish finally he purchased some hideous white enamel buttons while he was so engaged i observed that his keen eyes were wandering over everything in the little shop up and down they looked and from side to side suddenly he made a quick movement stepped across the floor and stretched out his hand my heart beat fast for I saw that he laid the tips of his thin white fingers upon a small gold and silver crucifix, dulled and tarnished with time. "'Ah, sir,' cried the girl, "'that is not for sale.' "'Indeed,' he replied, taking it from the shelf and holding it in the palm of his hand. He turned to me as he spoke and held out the crucifix for me to examine. My first sensation was one of surprise at its smallness. It was barely eight inches long, and the cross-piece but four inches. Was it possible that this tiny symbol of the eternal tragedy had such a strange history, and perhaps foreshadowed a stranger one? "'I have a fancy for this,' said Pinero. "'Why is it not for sale? I should like to buy it.' "'It is already sold, sir.' "'Indeed. I am sorry. I would give a good price for it.' The girl's eyes brightened, and then grew dull again. "'And I want money very badly,' she said, after a pause. "'But the lady is giving me a good price, too. "'She told me to put it away, "'and I put it on that back shelf. "'I didn't think anybody would notice it. "'She means to call for it this afternoon.' "'I could see the hand that held the crucifix tremble "'in spite of its owner's sang "'How much are you going to get for it?' "'said Pinero suddenly. Thirty pounds, sir. "'You will scarcely believe it. "'Give it to me, and you shall have fifty pounds.' "'Oh, sir, I must not go back on my bargain.' I wish you had seen it yesterday, but the lady was very anxious, and she is kind. I would not do anything shabby about it, sir, on any account. Pinero gave her back the crucifix. Take it, my dear, he said. You are a good girl, and I won't tempt you. I am very poor and alone in the world, said the girl slowly. My father had this crucifix for some time. He got it in a strange way. Some men slept here six or seven years ago. They were Portuguese and my mother was a Portuguese, so my father was good to them. In the morning one of these men gave father the crucifix to keep. "'Keep it safely,' he said, and I will call again for it. "'Don't show it to anyone. It is of great value, greater than you have the least idea of.' "'But what do you think, sir? Father waited day after day and week after week for the man to return to claim the crucifix. But he never came back, and at last one day we saw an account of his death in one of the papers.' he had been killed in a street row. So from that day father considered that the crucifix was his, but he never seemed inclined to sell it. He said the man might have left relations, who would claim it. They did not, and on his deathbed father told me that I might consider it mine. It is of value, he said. Don't sell it unless you can help it. And you have sold it at last, said Preniero. Why is that? Because I am dreadfully poor, things have been going from bad to worse in my little shop, and my landlord means to sell me up for the rent, which has been owing now for two quarters.' A gleam of pure pleasure came into Pinero's eyes. His whole face seemed to alter and become soft and human. I had never seen him look the least like this before. "'You will hear from me again,' he said, emphasis in his voice. "'But before we go now, may I ask you one more question?' "'You speak of a kind lady who has bought this crucifix.' "'Why did she not take it away with her?' "'Because she hadn't got enough money. She wanted me to trust her, and I would have, for she looked so very kind. But father made me promise that I would never on any account do that sort of thing. She said she would bring the money to-day. May I put it back now in its place? Please, sir?' "'Do,' said Pinero. "'When did you say the lady would call?' "'Sometime late this afternoon.' Pinheiro picked up his little parcel of buttons, then he suddenly held out his hand. "'You have Portuguese blood,' he said to the girl. "'And, therefore, I claim you as—as a sister in a strange land. "'Perhaps I will come again, and perhaps when I do, I shall bring you more luck than you think.' "'When we got into the street, he turned to me. "'Fortune is favoring us,' he said. "'The fact of Mademoiselle wanting money is certainly on our side.' "'Had she had the money about her last night, our quest would have been in vain. "'But it has been a near thing. "'What a surprise is in store for the pretty little girl in the shop. "'It is really quite a romance. Sixteen thousand pounds will set her up for life. "'If I can secure the crucifix, I shall take good care that La Petite gets her reward. "'Then you really mean to let Mademoiselle take the crucifix? "'It is the only means of tracing her to her den. "'So it is necessary.' You will see some tracking worth looking at tonight, Finace. She shan't escape me this time. Jove, the heat gets worse and worse. Let's come into this restaurant and have some lunch. I was far too excited to eat anything, and while Piniero refreshed himself, I paced up and down outside. We had strolled as far as Westminster, and we went for a time into the Abbey, where it was both still and cool. As the evening approached. We went back to continue our watch. Dusk arrived, and the heat grew yet greater. Not a breath of wind stirred. There was not a sign of Mademoiselle. "'She is certain to come soon,' Pinero once or twice remarked to me. "'But won't she see us if we stand here?' I asked. "'Not before I know that she is coming. This street is all eyes, although you can't see them. I have been talking for the last half-hour with my men. Dear, dear, don't you know the walking-stick language of detectives?' We use it in all big capitals. And here... He stopped short, seized my arm, and we withdrew into the shadow of an open door. She is coming, he whispered. The entrance to the little shop was quite hidden from us, but he was reading off the signs from a man standing about fifty yards away. Now, he said as a private hansom with silent tires and no bells shot up, in with you. Darkness had fallen and all the lamps were lit as we sped down Victoria Street. It was past nine o'clock where are we going i asked i don't know don't talk to me please he said curtly it was a weird drive away and away we went through endless streets northwards ever northwards did our cab take us i had no idea what part of london we were going to i only knew it was as strange a quest as i had ever been on the heat increased and a low growl of thunder showed us that the storm was approaching even the elements seemed uneasy We must have been going for more than an hour when I suddenly perceived that we had approached the borders of a great common. There were no houses or lights visible, but we were driving rapidly beneath a belt of dark trees which edged the common. All of a sudden, the cab drew up at a little gate that barred the entrance to a narrow walk. The darkness was now so intense that I could not see three feet before my face. A voice spoke in quick tones beside us. From where did it spring? Pinheiro answered in a whisper. The gate was opened. There was a sudden rush in the darkness, followed by a shout. Pinheiro had vanished. I leapt from the cab and rushed after Pinheiro through the gate. The next instant, I was hurled back by someone unseen. A voice exclaimed in a foreign tongue. There were two sharp reports of a pistol somewhere at a little distance in the darkness. Then all was still. A moment later, Pinheiro himself caught my arm and led me up the path into a small house the door of the house was open and there was a light in the room to the left in this room sat a man whom i immediately recognized as inspector scott he was holding a candle in his hand and was bending over an open tin box perspiration streamed from pinheiro's face he began to swear softly in portuguese a big haul and smartly done sir said the inspector the papers are here but the rats are gone it was a near thing they won't get far said pinheiro and it is worth losing the gang to secure the papers. And also, look, Vanace. As he spoke, he held a little gold and silver crucifix between himself and the light. The next instant he took off his hat and handed it to me. There was a hole clean through the crown. I shuddered. For heaven's sake, explain these things, I said. Where are we, and what has happened? How can you talk of having managed things neatly when mademoiselle has escaped? We have made a success, and a great one. Although, had we secured Mademoiselle, it would have been perfect, said Pinheiro. Our success in this instance is altogether due to our cab driver, Inspector Scott, who has the eyes of a cat. You don't seem to realize that we are now in possession of the headquarters of the enemy. We have recovered the crucifix, and here lie papers of the most profound importance to the British government. This house is on the outskirts of Hampstead Heath. We will just go cursorily through the papers, Scott, before we remove them for closer examination. The inspector renewed his search in the tin box. How did you get the crucifix? I asked Pinheiro. She had it in her hand when she bolted. I snatched it in the dark, and she returned the compliment by perforating my hat. But why didn't you follow her? Her time is close at hand. These papers are much more important. If we had continued to chase her and her followers in the dark all over Hampstead Heath, one of them would have returned to destroy everything. Better let her go for the time. Here lie our proofs. She cannot do much more mischief now. Well, I answered, the temptation to follow her would have been beyond my power to resist. Exactly, and it would have been just what she would have wished us to do. I am glad I secured the crucifix, though, for the sake of our little friend in the curiosity shop. Inspector Scott now began to make a systematic search of the room, and Pinheiro seated himself by a deal table to examine the papers. A glance showed me that the house was a very small one, and the room in which we found ourselves was badly furnished. So this is what the woman has come to, who consorted with princes, and was known to most of the crowned heads of Europe, I said to myself. Pinheiro is right. One of her objects in coming to England is to make money. Are these papers of value? I asked Pinheiro presently, for a constant succession of exclamations of astonishment were bursting from his lips as he turned them over. Yes, he answered we have matter enough here to destroy one of the cleverest combinations in europe mademoiselle's own capture will only be a matter of days he continued to read opening letter after letter turning page after page i stood idly by the room was only lit by a couple of candles but outside the lightning played continually the thunder rattled louder and nearer the storm was coming up quickly the scene in the small room was to all appearances peaceful but in a moment everything was changed. Pinheiro had taken out his tobacco pouch and was rolling a cigarette. His eyes were still fixed on the papers which he was reading. Suddenly I saw a line deepen round his eyes, and the white finger ceased to roll the cigarette paper. The next instant, with a bound, he leapt to his feet and was pushing me from the room. Never had I seen fear written so terribly on a man's face before. Gaunt and forbidding always, it was now that of a satyr. As we both left the room, he shouted back over his shoulder, "'Read that letter, Scott. Secure all the papers. In with you, Finace." He pushed me into the cab and sprang himself onto the box. We were off at a gallop into the night. Presently he shouted down the trap in staccato accents. "'We're going to Worley Court to cut the lightning conductor. There's a half-hundred weight of explosive at the end of it. The storm is on us. What fools you must have been to notice nothing. I warned you. Was there ever such a scheme?' it is a hundred to one that we're too late it is a race with the storm who is stopping there tonight? half the war office officials are dining there and many of them stopping and they are to have a dance after dinner i shouted back do you know your way yes he answered we shall be there before any wire could reach them sit tight amidst the clatter of the horses hoofs my memory came back to me the bark of the mastiff last night the disarranging of the bed of pinks the death of the dog Yes, I recalled everything, and the pinks were disturbed just where the lightning conductor entered the ground. I could have screamed aloud. Just then a brighter flash cleft the darkness, and the thunder crashed immediately after it. Rain began to fall in torrents. At last the cab swerved through the gates, and a moment later we were there. Once more Pinero shouted to me, "'Get an axe. You know the way better than I do.' I sprang out, A girl was standing under the deep porch. She saw me and flew down the steps. It was Evelyn. What is wrong? she said. Help me to get an axe. Don't lose a moment. I panted. She seemed to understand. Not another word passed her lips. She flew in the direction of the gardener's shed right across the lawn. I went after her. The rain was like a water spout and the darkness black as pitch. This way, I said. I led her to the side of the house where the lightning conductor went into the ground. Pinheiro was already there. Here is the conductor, I said. Feel. The wall of the house was close by. I gave him the axe. Stand out of the way, Miss Knoll, he said. He swung the axe round. It crashed against the wall, and I then saw him tearing with his hands like a maniac as a blinding flash lit the sky. In time, he cried, and he seized Evelyn by both her hands. Venice, take the cab to the stable. Take me to your father, Miss Evelyn. What a wet night! The sound of music filled the house. Through a half-open door we could see the gay dancers as they waltzed round and round. Evelyn took us to the library. There Sir James, Pinero, Evelyn, and I met. The clock pointed to eleven-fifteen. Miss Evelyn, you have pluck enough to listen, said Pinero. I have met you under difficult circumstances before now. This, Sir James, is the new development. He then rapidly recounted the details of our day's adventure. If you will allow me, I should like to examine the flower bed at once," said Piniero, when his story had come to an end. But we shall want a lantern and a spade. A very short investigation resulted in our finding a metal box of nitroglycerin buried barely a foot below the bed. To this case was connected the lower end of the conductor. Having made our examination, which we did silently we returned to the house it was a matter of seconds sir james remarked pinheiro as he drained off a long brandy and soda the fact is i expected to find worley court in the next county when i arrived there was enough nitroglycerin to do it too how any man could jest at such a time seemed incredible but pinheiro was not human just at that moment however a wonderfully soft expression came into his eyes he turned to me and said in a whisper How happy our little friend in the curiosity shop will be tomorrow. End of number five, A Gallop with the Storm, part two.